Shalom, shalom, brothers and sisters, and welcome to this Rise on Fire live stream. Uh, we are so excited to be here with you guys today uh, for the first Q&A. Yeah, that we are uh, doing with you guys here as part of a we, we want to do this as a series of videos going into the future with you guys sending in your questions and uh, we'll be coming back and answering them. Um, I want to just start off by saying like we don't have all the answers, but we're just here today saying, hey, we want to serve you guys by trying our best to uh, answer biblically with scripture um, some of the questions that were sent in to us. So thank you to everyone who sent in. We got so many amazing questions. And because there were so many, we probably may not even be able to get to all of them. But we, we picked out the ones that we think are you guys are going to enjoy the most. All right. So as we're here, just want to make sure our stream is good. Yes, we are good, it seems. Um, and uh, I think we're going to jump right into this um, with the first question. And I am, oh, by the way, <laughs> I'm joined by my beautiful wife, Christina, here today. You want to say hi, Christina? Hey, everyone. I'm so glad you can join and get ready for a fun time. Yes. Amen. So, um, Christina, you, do you want to read the first question for us? All right. So the first question is from Jeff in Oregon regarding demon possession. His question is, how do we recognize a demon as a demon? The Bible seems quiet on a definition. It seems it was always obvious to those around when a demon was manifesting. Today, we see a lot of mental illness in the United States, but how do we know if and when that is a demon? I've heard some say that all mental illness is demonic and others that some or all mental illness is just mental illness. I want to be able to use my God-given authority to cast out demons, but the adversary seems to have done a great job of disguising his minions under other names so that I can't recognize them when I see them. I'm writing this on a break while doing work at a safe house for children with severe mental trauma caused mostly by growing up in homes with drug use, abuse, and mentally ill parents. This begs the follow-up question, can demons be passed on generationally? All right, cool. So there's two questions in there, right? The first one is, uh, and I think this is a very, I've heard this before. I think it's a good question. You know, um, if we looked back on Let's go back to the first century. We look, we, let's go to one of those cases where uh, Jesus was busy casting out a demon from a person. And if we were to ask a modern um, psychotherapist or someone um, about this, they may say that, well, this person has a mental illness. This is why they're acting this way. They need uh, mental assistance. So I think it's definitely true that there are people who have demon possession like we read in our um, New Testament, but who are today labeled as mentally um, challenged or who have a mental illness of some sort. And so I think that's there. Is it always the case? I I don't know if we, we should go and say that, if we could say that, but I think that the connection is there oftentimes. But now his question is, is how do we know if it is? How do we know if mental illness is a demon? Because if we knew it's a demon, I mean, it's probably going to help us out in dealing with it, right? 
I want to tell you guys a story. I remember um, the first time that I ever encountered um, someone who had a demon. And at that point, I never dealt with anything like that before. And I was kind of scared because it's, you know, foreign. But what I found was, is I was at this home fellowship and there was this person just um, starting to manifest a demon, like rolling on the floor and it was like crazy. And, and I was like, what am I going to do about this? You know, because I can't just run away, even though that's what we want to do. I have to do something about this. But at that point in my life, I've been praying for people for a little while now for in terms of healing. And I've seen some amazing things in that. And so that's all I had is how I, I knew how to pray for people to get um, healed. I knew how to pray in that authority. And so what did I do? Well, the only thing I could think of doing is applying what I learned to the demon. And I simply prayed in the same way in that authority, just like I would say before, you know, sickness, I command you to leave in the name of Yeshua. Um, now it was demon, I command you to come out in the name of Yeshua. Like the prayer didn't really change that much. And so and it, it was amazing that that person got delivered, demon came out and, and I was like, wow, this is crazy, amazing. But the reason that I'm telling you this little story here is because, you know, the, the question is a good question. And, you know, is it a demon? How do we know the mental illness is a demon? But I want to submit to you that it doesn't really matter that much in the grand scheme of things, because whether someone has a sickness that is unrelated to maybe a demon, uh, maybe it's a different kind, just, you know, sickness in the flesh. Um, or whether it's whatever else, um, that's other reason that's not demon related, we treat it the same way. So we don't really need to know. And uh, like, so this, this is, this is the, the, what we do is we treat it the same way. We will cause out, uh, we will command sickness to leave. We pray for an authority for sickness to go. We command demons to leave. If we know it's a demon, if we see a demon starts manifesting in a person, that then we know it's a demon. Um, so I think just think about it that way. That's a safe and easy way. And it's it's effective, right? Um, I've prayed for people who who had no I didn't think they had a demon. But then as I prayed for them, just as normal, like a normal prayer, but in authority and my sonship, suddenly they start manifesting the demon because the demon gets um, uncomfortable by this and starts showing himself. So we don't need to know always there is a demon to be able to cast out a demon. Um, I've even there's even demons that can leave without them showing any sign, um, very quietly leaving. So it doesn't always have to be like what we think about in in terms of you know uh, this grand deliverance, uh, which is cool can happen, but it doesn't always have to look like that. Okay, so. Um, all, all issues are in essence spiritual and so we can treat them in the same kind of way. And uh, I just want to go on then the second part of that question was a good part to it. He said, you know, he asked, can demons be passed on generationally? Okay, that's a really good question. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say demons are passed on generationally in the in the most technical aspect of the way of saying that I would rather probably rather say that um, there is a thing like generational curses, but what is passed on more often is the our sin tendencies. 
So, I mean, let's just look at a very biblical example. Um, we have, for example, Cain. Um, I'm just going to, maybe I can just read this here. Genesis 4 verse 7. God tells Cain the following. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Okay, so this is right as um, he was uh, reasoning in his heart if he, he's going to kill. And uh, then God told him, hey, sin is crouching at the door. What are you going to do about that? Now, now, here's the thing, though. Why is does he have this sin tendency, this, this, this desire kind of to want to sin? Well, his parents did. And, you know, it comes from Adam and Eve, even. It's not easy. He's not far removed from Adam and Eve. Um, and um, Adam and Eve's fall caused a generational curse to come upon their second and third generation. And, of course, we have a degree of that curse even today. But in the same way, we have generational curses uh, from our forefathers in our bloodlines. But that's that often manifests in terms of a tendency. So it doesn't mean that you're doomed. It simply means that my dad, at least if, you, if your dad was a, a, a an alcoholic or he, he, he had a, an addiction to pornography or he, okay, whatever, then you're going to have, may, maybe you may struggle with those same sins. But you, like God said to Cain, you must rule over it. So that's, um, what I would say in terms of that. And of course, you know, in the last sense of the word, um, he, the, um, Jeff, uh, who asked the question, also said he works in a uh, institute where there are children who were abused. And of course, you know, I just want to mention that, yeah, um, unfortunately, through sin that's been done against us, um, demonic oppression can come in. So, you know, um, someone who was sexually abused, can certainly have demonic oppression um, coming. But here's the thing, regardless of the technicality of how and what it is, okay, we don't have to worry as much about that as simply focusing on the solution, which remains the same for all of it, which is the good news. It is actually called the good news. It's called the gospel. <laughs> and and so that, that solution is deliverance, and, and baptism. Okay, so that, that means people start following Messiah, they get baptized, and then there's deliverance that happens. In other words, praying for any anything to come out, any uh, bondage to be broken. And then in the sec to a second degree, there has to be the renewing of the mind, because sometimes the bondage isn't about a demon that's behind it as much as it simply is the th way that you have to change the way you think you have to renew your mind um and that will break uh through bondage as well all right so uh jeff i hope that answered your question i think we can head over to the next question here all right so the next question is from libby in south africa regarding salvation we know Jesus died to save us from all sin, right? Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So my question is, how then can we have that taken from us by the sin of taking the mark? It's a biblical conundrum for which I have never found an answer. Tough one for you, but vitally important in the last days when we know some Christians will take it, believing my first statement. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, so Jesus died for all sin. Yes, he died for the sins of the world. But if he died for the sins of the world, past, present, future, why is the whole world not saved? Why is it that some people will still not know him? Why will some people still be condemned? Well, because they are in living in rebellion against God. They do not accept his sacrifice because part of it is you need to accept the sacrifice for you. And secondly, you need to repent of your own sins. Um, you can't just believe and not repent. You have to have repentance and belief. And this is, uh, you know, Jesus said this all throughout the scriptures. He says, uh, Acts 2.38 or Peter said, you know, repent and be baptized. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 11, verse 20, um, he denounced the cities because they did not repent. Uh, Mark 1, verse 15, he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And then uh, lastly, I want to read here Luke 13, verse 3. Now I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Okay, so we see that there is this message that he, he didn't just say, I came to die for you guys are all okay. No, no, there's repentance that must happen. And uh, 1 John 3 verse 6 says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So there is a repentance that takes place. And um, now why am I saying this? It, it ties in very well with the question because um, you know, she, she asked, uh, Libby asked in, in relation to the mark of the beast, you know, if we are saved, like if, if someone is, is saved by the gospel, um, how can the mark of the beast take that away? That's basically what is being asked. Well, taking the mark is in essence an open declaration of rebellion against God. You are... Con, it's, it's going to be a conscious thing. It's not going to be something you're doing by accident. Oops, I did it. I took the mark. I didn't even know I did it. Oh, no, I'm condemned. No, it's going to be something that's going to be obvious enough that you need to basically renounce God, rebel against God, uh, whether it's from being afraid of man, whether it's because you just hate God, whatever the reason, whether you're compromising in, the, in relation to the uh, persecutions that are surrounding you. Maybe it's that. Okay. Whatever the reason you are rebelling against God because you're choosing to act in the fear or whatever it is. So um, because you're act, you're now taking the mark and you are you are taking this, the, making this declaration, you are basically you may Jesus may have died for your sins, but you have rejected his sacrifice. So. Um, uh, let me. Uh, this kind of ties in a little bit with, I guess, the idea of being once saved, always saved. Um, uh, you know, we are. This is kind of a tricky one to answer in terms of. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me, but we, if we say we believe, yet we live in rebellion against God through our lives, through just you know, don't care about my sin kind of thing. Um, you're not. You may have been saved once, but if you walked away from God, you're not going to be saved anymore. Okay. So yes, no one, I, I think no one can pluck you from the father's hand as the scripture says, but you can walk out of his hand and you can reject his free gift. 
Exactly, just like she said. So we can walk away. Um, and uh, so in terms of the mark of the beast, you know, I think it's appropriate to just talk about the mark of God mm-hmm. because that tells us uh, also about this. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 verse 2 says, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Okay, that's the context. He's talking about keeping the commandments. And then a few verses later, verse 8, he says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and be, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That's exactly what's described where uh, the mark of the beast will also be. So we have this mark of the God, and it's which is his commandments. It's what you think. It's what you do. And uh, Holy yes, Holy Spirit. And then we have the mark of uh, the beast, which would also be what you do and what you think about. If you think about um, things contrary to God, do things contrary to God, having the spirit of the Antichrist, in essence, you have that's going to be the kind of people that will take the mark of the beast, whatever that physically turns out being right. We don't know yet because it's too early to say, but um, that's the kind of people that will be taking it. So I hope that answers the question. Um, he died for us, but we must, um, work out our salvation in fear and trembling. All right. All right. The next question is from someone in Indonesia who preferred to remain anonymous regarding family. How can I lead my unsaved family to Christ? It's super hard to be living in a non-believer family. Sometimes I even think that I'm being more of a stumbling stone more than I am being a blessing and a light to them, and it makes everything very hard. They talk about my faith behind my back, how I'm too much in my faith, and it's taking a toll on me, and I'm super sad about it. It's been years, and it's as lonely and hard as ever, even harder now. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Jesus had the same problem. <laughs> and a similar problem at least um and it's not because there was something wrong with him and so i want to say there's nothing wrong with you if this is your struggle uh we read for example about how jesus faced this in uh, mark 6 uh, where he um i'm just going to read this quick for us it's very good on the sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue many who heard him were astonished and they asked, where did he get all this from? You know, how did he get this wisdom? How are such mighty works done in by his hands? They're like amazed. And then they say, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother James, Joseph, Judah, Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So they took offense because of who he was, because of who, where he came from, because of who his family was. Because they knew him, because he was, they were like, oh, we know this guy, right? So just because of that, you know, it was kind of like they took offense. So um, Jesus then said, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown, among his relatives and uh, his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few and healed them. And he was and he marveled because of their unbelief. Um and he went on among the villages teaching. So, yeah, brown sisters, let me just turn down this volume here. I see I'm clipping a bit. All right. Um, what 
what we see here is the um, the 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 persecution that he received because of who he was. And so, you know, um, what did he do? It says that he went on, he, he marveled because of their unbelief and he went on to the villages to preach there. So he didn't let this affect him, mm-hmm. right? He didn't let this um, stop him. He didn't let this discourage him. Now, that's the first thing. It didn't, it shouldn't be something, I'm saying this because I don't want, if you're in this position, you shouldn't feel like this is your fault. You shouldn't feel like it's, you know, something that you're necessarily doing wrong. The fact that your family isn't getting this. Um, so, but on the other side, you know, I, I recognize that this is her family. This is not just a stranger. And this is a very hard thing. If this is your family, um, wow, you know, it's, it's difficult. So what do we do about that? Um, there's a few things we can do. The biggest, the biggest thing that I think we can do is, um, making sure that our lives are good uh, is a good witness. So before we talk about anything, we need to so- focus so much on our witness, our testimony, our fruits, making sure that everything that we are um, living out is a good example to them. Because here's the thing, the, the, the problem that we are facing of this whole thing about you're not being recognized by your own household and so on, is because they're still seeing you in your old identity. They still see you as the old PD and they they treat you in that old identity before you may have even came to Christ. So now it's actually twofold. They don't see that why they feel like, why should they listen to anything you have to say? And also because they're treating you in that old identity, identity, it makes it harder for you to manifest that new identity that Christ has put on you when you're around them, because they're continuously going to try and and treat you like you were um, before you came to Christ. So first, we need to establish our new identity with our relatives. That means we need to go and we need to act like the Bible teaches us to act. And we should not allow them to to impact the way we act and pull us down into that old identity that we were in. If we do that, we will do very well already. So um, doing that is key. Um, And when we do that, they'll be seeing that there's a change in you. And then they'll be able to witness the biggest miracle that you will ever see in your life. And that is the very change of your character, your heart and everything more into Christ from your old man into the new. And that is going to be the number one testimony that they need to see. And that's the biggest thing that's going to um, that's going to draw them closer to God. OK, um, so on, on top of that, I would say, you know, we need to make sure that we pray for them. We need to make sure that we don't push things on them. In other words, we don't get too pushy with the gospel. And um, make sure that we're speaking in love. Sometimes like we both, we all probably have walked the walk where we become so zealous about what the father has taught us that we become overly zealous. And our love means hitting them over the head with the Bible, the Torah. But that's not the way we're supposed to do it according to scripture. Exactly. Um, it actually has to be like your fruit is so good mm-hmm. that the only thing you ever need to say is Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
because they need to be marveling. Because look what happened with Messiah. They were marveling. They were drooling over what is going on in this guy's life. They were like, why is there so many amazing things happening through him? And if that's happening, you just need to say one word. You just need to say his name and they'll know. Um, I'm not, a, of, of course, that doesn't mean we don't, we don't share more, but um, you just get my point, right? Speak in love, share in love. Mm, that's good. Uh, yeah. And I want to just also share for who asked this, you know, seek fellowship out. It's really mm -hmm. hard if you're just around your family and they don't believe. Uh, I would really encourage you by all means, uh, try your best to find a fellowship with like-minded believers. Okay. And she also had, or he also had a second part of his question. And that is, how do I get over my fear and have boldness to walk in spiritual giftings? It's so easy to say, but super hard to be done. I mean, to have the boldness to do it, I can't even understand. I'm super weak, super fearful, and got nothing good in me but Christ. And he's the one I want to preach and share about. But I have no one to share the calling and burden in my heart with me. With my non-believer family, it's getting even worse. I'm really close with them. It's very difficult. Mm, that's hard. Sharing the gospel is a thing that really can inspire fear in us. Um, I relate with, with, with the question well. I mean, I know Christina relates, right? Yes, um, I'm naturally a very shy person introvert so going out sharing with people going up to someone to pray for them is not my first instinct my first instinct is to turn the other way <laughs> but that is the flesh not the spirit i'm amen and i think that most of us listening uh, you know everyone listening i think we can all agree um this is oftentimes one of the last things we want to do and i myself part of my testimony is that i was so afraid um this is actually my was my if you want to talk about weaknesses this was my weakness this is the poster child thing for what my weakness was is is people i was afraid of people um and you may not think so looking today but it's because of god so glory right there to him um, but my i know that the, the the person asking this they understand that oh yeah god can empower it but it's still hard right um, but let's just think about this. Like, what is there to be afraid of? I know that we have, there's many things that can go through your mind, right? It can be, you know, when we're talking about sharing with someone, it could be, oh, um, what if I misrepresent God? It can be like good, good reasons, you know, what if I misrepresent God? You know, what if, um, the person uh, thinks I'm weird or what if I don't know what to say? Yes. So if they ask me questions, I don't know how to answer. Yes. Um, there's many things it could, it could be. But why would... Okay, let's talk to the first ones. Like, why would God... If 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 there's so much that's going to go wrong with us doing this, that it's going to damage God's reputation, in fact, um, why would God tell us in His Word to do it? Why would He continuously tell His disciples and people to go out and preach the gospel telling them the kingdom of God is at hand while, but he, but it, well, if it's going to do any kind of damage to his kingdom, right? We don't have to worry about that. As long as we are being, um, uh, have coming to this thing with a good heart and good intentions, right? Being coming in love and kindness, all this, 
like there's nothing that can really go wrong. Like there is no such thing as a failure in the kingdom when we talk about this. Mm. Um, so uh, in terms of fear of people, uh, I get that too. Um, if we're going to really be honest about that one, uh, it's because of our pride and we are all guilty to a degree, right? We are in different measures guilty, but guilty nonetheless of being afraid of people. And it's because we're afraid of what they may think of us. Oh, our, our image is very important, right? That's some of the things that need to be put on the altar. That's some of the things that needs to be put on that sacrifice. That's part of picking up your cross. Um, I bet uh, I, I can promise you that the thief on the cross next to Messiah didn't really care about what he was looking like anymore at that point. He's not thinking about that. He's he's thinking about other things. And we as if we're going to be um, like crucified with him, we need to think about other more important things than what we look like to people. OK, so uh, just, that's putting it plainly, but it's important um, for us to to realize that. OK, so. Um, I don't know if this answers the question, but, but we, we need to just pick up our cross and we need to put ourselves out there we need to just take the risk and know God is with us. He sent out his disciples, even though they just, I mean, just when he came back, remember when they rejected him in some way, they basically said, um, oh, we don't believe he raised. Remember when the disciples did that? And then when Jesus appeared to them, one of the first things he said was, well, it, he said he, it said he rebuked them for that. And then he told them to go out and preach the gospel. So it's kind of like he he just they just rejected him to a degree. And now he sends them out. So brothers like if if he sent them out, like he's sending us out and and he's excited and he's with us. He says, I'm with you to the end of the age. Mm-hmm. OK. And uh, yeah, if we are going to be uh, afraid, also maybe like the same person asked this, so I'm going to say join that fellowship because that'll help with if there's a social awkwardness issue, fellowship will help with that too. And doing these things with people, even in a small outreach scale, something like that is really awesome too. And also like um, you can start small. It's okay to first start praying for a family member or for a friend. Um, it's okay to start small and start close at home as you get comfortable, but then get bigger. Go out and pray for the cashier who's, who's bringing up your groceries or pray for the person who's in line behind you. Or It's okay to step out and it's actually good. You'll feel so much better when you do that because you're not walking in your flesh, which wants to hold you back from your calling, but you'll, you're walking in the spirit. One of my mottos is do hard things. It feels hard. It looks hard. But when you're done with it, it's like, whoa, Mm. that was amazing. God is good. God is crazy amazing because Mm. it's all about him. It's not about you. That's good. All right. Next question. Next question is from Isaac in Massachusetts regarding overcoming the flesh. Shalom, Petey. I'm 16 years old. I have always had a desire to walk as Yeshua and his disciples did completely in the spirit. However, I feel as if my spirit is lazy and always sleeping. I'm more distracted and waste a lot of time when I can be using it to glorify Yah. My question to you is this. How do you stay persistent in walking in the spirit? How do you stay persistent when you feel discouraged, when you lack motivation, or when you just don't feel like it? What can I do to reach my goal to walk in the spirit like Yeshua? Thank Mm. you. 
that's a good question. Mm-hmm. And um, question. I, I think there's three parts to it. It First, he's asking, you know, how do I overcome distractions? I think we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. And he talks about feeling discouraged. I think we, we can talk about that too. And just this idea of not feeling like it, which, you know, we can all relate to. And we're going to talk about that. So in terms of um, overcoming distractions, the first one, um, I think there's a few things that can be done. Um, when there's a distraction in our life that's distracting us from whatever it is, you know, something that God is doing, what God wants us to do, um, one of the things we could do is set a schedule. Mm-hmm. So if we say every Monday, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go out and I'm going to walk to my nearest mall and I'm going to find people to pray for. Every Monday I'm doing this. Like, that's a great thing to keep yourself accountable. Um, and even better, if you do it with friends, if you get anyone involved to join you or, you know, fellowship, now you have more accountability because if you try and chicken out on Monday, they're going to be like, hey, PD, are we going to go out? You know, and, and then because I know how it is. Brian and sister is the enemy. When, when Monday hits, the enemy is doing everything he can to stop me from going to that mall, mm. right? And we need to be mindful. It can be the way we feel. Oh, I don't feel like it. Oh, this, this day was so hard. He's going to try and weigh you down so much that you don't want to go out. He's going to make things happen, whatever. So you don't go out because you're going to go and wreck his kingdom. And he's so afraid of that. So set a schedule, do it to friends. If, you know, if, all, if, if at all possible in the beginning for me, there was no one around me to do it with, but I went regardless. And there's great reward for that. So go regardless, even if you don't have friends or anyone to join you. Um, I also will say in terms of distractions, if we have a lot of distractions, that uh, fasting is very um, effective, fasting and prayer, because our flesh is the thing that doesn't want to do God's things. Instead, it wants to procrastinate and do other things. So if we discipline our flesh through fasting um, and prayer, every week, uh, that's what I would say, um, we will be able to rule over our flesh more and our spirit will be stronger. We'll be able to have more self-control and be able to do more of what God called us to do. Okay. Um, And, you know, I think also what could be done is to remove any idols. And an idol is not necessarily some false idol, some false God um, or something. It can be anything that is absolutely taking away from what God has put on your heart to do. And if that's if you're playing video games eight hours a day, uh, that's definitely an idol. And that needs to I would put that on hold. I would take a fast from that um, or whatever it is that's distracting you. If that's a really big problem, take a break from it. That's a form of fasting, too. And uh, you'll be free. You can get free from that because that's a form of slavery. If you are. Um, being held captive, your time is all going to this one thing and you, you struggle to not do anything else or, you know, if it's keeping you from God, that's you're in slavery to that thing. So right. that might be social media as well or just watching too much Netflix. So uh, look at your life and see what is taking up a lot of your time. And something that's good to remember is if it's, you know, if it's not helping you grow, it's got to go. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not oh, go ahead. Before you go, I'm sorry. I want to. I wanted to add something. Um, you know, the the next part of it was um, 
uh, he asked, he also said he felt discouraged. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I think you can feel discouraged because of a few things. It could be because of results. Maybe you went out to pray and the results aren't what you thought it was going to be. Maybe you hoped for someone to get healed, but they didn't get healed. And, oh, no, no, I'm discouraged. I go home and I'm crying and I'm sad because, you know, I, I get I get that emotional state we find ourselves in. But if that's what ha what happens, um, and I'm saying this because I'm speaking from experience, if that's what happens, then you're praying for the wrong reason. Um, the main reason that we go out has to be because we do what he said, because he told us to go, go out into the world, preach the gospel. Oh, he told me to go. That's what I'm doing. This is why I am going out. Why do you keep other commandments? Oh, yeah, we can talk about all the, the bullet point reasons, but always at the top, it's because God said, I don't have to understand why it's because God said. So if it's because God said that you are going out to pray for people, you won't get discouraged when the result isn't what you hoped for because you weren't there for the result in the first place. The result is like cherry on the cake if it's great. I mean, if it goes well in that way, glory to God. But and that's amazing. And, and I love that. But if it's about I'm just doing it because that's what I'm supposed to do. God told me to. Then if the result doesn't come the way I thought it should, it's not going to hurt me as much. OK, and um, also um, lies that can come in because of, you know, feeling discouraged. You can think like lies like. Oh, you know, Satan can tell you you're not good enough for God to work through you or, you know, things like that. Um, I would just say, don't listen to the wrong voice. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, go and do this. I have chosen you, my humble servant, to go to the world, proclaim the gospel um, and and uh, yeah, let, let what the Bible says dictate what who you are and what you do, not what the enemy whispers into your mind regarding how worthy you are or how unworthy you are. Um, if you weren't worthy, Christ didn't, wouldn't have died for you. Um, you're pretty valuable because he died for you. So we don't have to worry about that question because the Bible tells us we are valuable. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean, and then the last part of this question was he said, you know, sometimes he doesn't feel like it. And I think very often we won't feel like it. I think more often than not, we don't feel like it. In fact, I think, I mean, I think people miss has a, a misconception sometimes thinking probably, I don't know if you guys think it about me ever, but I, OPD always looks like he's in the mood to go and pray for strangers. He doesn't know and love on people. He doesn't know. Definitely not. I don't feel like that. Um, I, sometimes I feel like it, but sometimes I really don't feel like it. It's kind of like marriage. Oh, okay. Am I allowed to say that? Like, um, sometimes love is going to be a feeling sometimes, but if you're in the middle of an argument with your spouse and everyone who's married is going to connect with this, um, you don't feel like it. I don't feel like loving you right now, you know, but it's not about feeling. Love is not a feeling. Mm. Love is not about feelings. If, if, it, if, if it was about feeling, then Messiah wouldn't have died. I, I, I'm sure he didn't feel like going to die on the cross for us, but he did it because he loves us. Love is action. So are you willing to get on a cross for people like he did for you? Are you willing to do that? That's what he calls us to. So um, feelings shouldn't dictate. OK, you're not going to feel like it. So don't go by your feelings. Go by what the word says. Okay. Ooh, we can go to the next question, I think. Awesome. So the next question is by Ayana in Georgia. 
regarding being grafted into Messiah. Oh, this is a good one. So she wrote, I recently read a book by Toby Janik of First Fruits of Zion Ministry called God-Fearers, Gentiles, and the God of Israel. In the book, Toby says that certain feasts, such as Passover, such as Passover, Gentiles living amongst the Israelites were not forced to keep unless they converted to Judaism. He asserts that this is the same for all of God's feasts and also Sabbath observance. He stated that Gentiles were invited to participate but not required to based on rabbinical writings, such as the Talmud and Mishnah Torah. Could you shed some light on this, please? Thank you. Okay. So I think the main part, the main question is, you know, he stated that Gentiles were invited to participate but not required to um, based on the rabbinical writings. And this is participating in terms of the feasts and Sabbath and mm. things like that. Okay, well, this is a very old belief, actually, believe it or not. It's not um, something that was recently invented. Um, I think before we answer it, let's um, just clarify something. Um, it, it's the uh, I, Ayana said that he stated that Gentiles were invited to participate, but not required to. Well, you know, required to participate is we need to just clarify what that means, because in Judaism, um, you can be required to do many things, including feasts and Sabbaths and things like that, for salvation. Because there is in, in Orthodox Judaism and among those who deny the Messiah, Jesus as the Messiah, Yeshua as the Messiah, um, they, need, they don't have him as Messiah. So they need to do commandments to be holy enough to be saved. I want to clarify that that's not what we are about here. Uh, we are a, we are not keeping any commandment to be saved. We're doing it because we love him. We love Messiah, so we're going to want to walk like he does. We're going to want to turn from our sins, repent, etc. Mm -hmm. So I just want to clarify that before we go into this question. So now let's let's answer it. Like I mentioned, it's a very old belief. Um, ancient Judaism, uh, even at the time of Messiah in the first century, believed exactly this. Is the rabbinical leadership yes 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 that's Not like a, the common person but it was a is a main thought in the leadership that had gone back centuries right so a lot of the leaders i guess mm -hmm. it's better to clarify like mm -hmm. a lot of the leaders were teaching that you um basically what was asked and that is that you know you have to convert undergo a conversion process to judaism um before you know you should be keeping any commandments or before you can uh, be accepted into you know their community and before you can even be accepted into the covenant of israel you have to have the official conversion to judaism which has a whole list of things you have to do as well right you know? basically the the idea is that that um they didn't want average gentiles to become part of the faith you had to really go through a lot and i mean a lot i mean you had to go through a whole process of um, you you know, if you weren't circumcised, like if you did not undergo the circumcision process, if you didn't go and do a lot of other things, even on top of that, you can't be accepted by God. You can't follow God. You can't, Like that's the idea that they had. And so in Luke 4, we actually got this. Uh, we see this as well with Messiah, um, this belief, because um, Luke 4, he was in the synagogue and he's talking. He opened the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading from it. And then. He's reading about himself. He's talking about the prophecy being fulfilled about, you know, him being a, um, a light in darkness, freedom to captive, 
those in captivity, etc. And then by the end of it, he goes on and he talks to them, uh, the, the people in this, in this synagogue, and he says, I'm going to quote it here, Luke 4, verse 26. Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Jarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all of the synagogue were filled with wrath. In fact, so much so that they later went and they tried to push him off a cliff. Mm. So they were really angry at what he was saying here, because what he was saying is, he was talking about all these people. He's saying there were many lepers in Israel, but the only one who was cleansed was a Gentile, Naaman, the Syrian. Um, Elisha was sent, but only to Jarephath, a non-Jew, not a, not someone who is a... So why would God be caring for these people who are Gentiles? Well, that's the point that Jesus is making, that God is not just... A, he, God is all for... He loves the Jewish people. Mm. Don't get me wrong, he does, but he's also he loves the world as well. He loves the Gentiles as well, and the the gospel is that it's for the whole world. But but um, the um, the ancient uh, well, not ancient per se, just but Judaism um, often many in Judaism do not like this idea. That's why you don't see a lot of evangelism in Judaism. Because it's a very exclusive kind of thing, only for Jews. Mm. So many people who've come into the Christian faith or uh, faith in Messiah who are still Jews or who have some Jewish um, Judea beliefs of Judaism have inherited some of these beliefs still, which aren't biblical beliefs. The, the idea that, you know, um, only those who are... Um, have gone through that Jewish conversion process we mentioned earlier, should worry about keeping God's commandments, which is a crazy idea because uh, when we go, look, let's look at what the Bible says, okay? We've talked a lot about what they believe, so now look at what the Bible says, okay? Exodus 12, verse 38. Um, I want to read about here because this is where it all began. This is how um, Israel came out of Egypt and they were given the commandments. When they were coming out of Egypt, the Bible says in Exodus verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 38, that there was a mixed multitude that also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Okay, so there was when they were in essence at Mount Sinai, where the commandments were given, by the way, including the Sabbath, by the way, later in that you know period, including the feast days were given as time went by. Okay, all these things were happening and there were ancient Egyptian pagans who basically came out of Egypt with the Israelites who, who wanted to follow God, basically Gentiles, you can say, in today's thought, <laughs> and they were welcomed in, okay? Um, and they were uh, given the commandments at the foot of Mount Sinai along with the native-born Israelites. And by the way, Judaism didn't even exist at that point yet, okay? Judaism, as we know today, was only invented about, you can argue, about 1000 BC, 1020 BC, with the splitting of the northern and southern house, houses of Israel, you know, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So, um, and Judaism only comprised at the end about two of the 12 tribes um, that were from the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So, regardless, okay, the point is just that this is a new idea. 
Um, Paul t- tells us in Romans 11 verse 17 that we are grafted into Israel. If, if you are a Gentile, that is you. And what I mean by that is, you know, you aren't a Jew by blood and you believe in Messiah, you become grafted into him uh, into and you become part of Israel. It says, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, the olive tree is Israel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are grafted in and Colossians 3 verse 11 also tells us there's no difference between uh, there's no Jew or Greek, right? Um, circumcised, uncircumcised, none of these things. We're all one in Christ. And if we're all one in Christ, we are all called to walk like he did to be his disciples. And by the way, he kept the Sabbath. He kept the feast days, etc. He kept the commandments of his father. And and if you want to imitate him, well, you're going to really struggle to do so if you reject those things, because that was a massive part of the life of him and his disciples. Okay, so I hope that answers the question. Mm. All right, so the next question is from someone in Washington, Pennsylvania, who requested to remain anonymous regarding clean foods. And they wrote, how do I defend biblically clean eating with Romans 14 to my husband? He is generally respectful, but still brings unclean items into our home, which I'm trying to keep honorable and clean. Okay, this is a good question. Um, Yeah, so uh, her husband uh, used Romans 14. Okay, so let's talk about Romans 14. And we're going to see what does Romans 14 teach us regarding clean and unclean food, if anything, uh, or, you know, what is it about? So uh, the only way to really answer this is to read it because this is quite a, you'll see it's quite an involved piece of scripture. So listen with me here. Um, We're just going to read a few verses here in Romans 14. Romans 14, verse one, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the person, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Okay, this is the first thing we need to know. This is about someone who believes eating one thing, anything, and the other one says, oh, no, only vegetables. Okay, let's go on. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Or let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Second point is he's saying don't pass judgment on whether you eat or abstain from eating. Okay, let's read on. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since she gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Okay, so there were three things that Paul is saying here. We should not pass judgment on someone else on. And we, we want to know, we want to really understand what, what is he talking about? Because it's kind of vague. He says those who eat anything versus those who eat say we can all, we can eat only vegetables. Those who are eating and those who are totally abstaining from eating. And those who are exalting days above others and those who don't care about that that much. So this is, I want to submit to you one 
issue. This all communicates to one issue he was facing in his day. And really the second one gives hint to it. And it says, when he says it, some, one believes about eating and one believes about abstaining from eating. Well, what is abstaining from eating? It's fasting. Okay, that's what it means. If you stop eating, that's what fasting is. Now, let's see what is the customs that were around in his day and well actually even some of it today when we go into the some of what the Talmud teaches and I'm, I'm quoting this not because it's what we should do I'm quoting it because it's going to give us insight on what Paul is addressing okay so this is some fasting customs in the second temple period it was customary to hold public fast days on Mondays and Thursdays it's according to Tosef it was also possible to fast for a specific number of hours. On some occasions, the fast was not a total one, but people refrained only from meat, wine, anointing with oil, and other pleasures. As well, uh, okay, yeah, so that's what it is. And, and basically, this is in, the, in some of the Talmudic literature um, that I just read from. So we have all of these elements in here because he's saying there were people believing well, what we just read is there's people in the second temple period believing that there that you, there's there's a custom of fasting on certain days mm -hmm. lifting that's what Paul's talking about lifting one day above another and not eating on those days and and furthermore they say that they also believe to only abstain from certain foods so the customs were around fasting. And these are the customs Paul is referring to. He's saying, okay, brothers and sisters, if someone comes to you and pass judgment on you because of whether you fast or not, because of maybe what day you're fasting on, whether you're exalting it on this day versus another, or, you know, whether uh, what you're fasting, if you're eating only vegetables or you're eating nothing or you're eating you're drinking wine or, you know, whatever you're doing, don't let anyone pass judgment. Who are we to pass judgment on each other on these things? Because, by the way, these things aren't commandments. Like God doesn't never tells us he tell fasting is certainly an important thing, but it's not how it's done is a very personal thing between you and God. So this is what Paul is referring to. It fits like a glove. Um, what ha what was going on in the second temple period, and and we see that the um, uh, the Pharisees actually came against Jesus and his disciples for the same thing. Do you remember how they said uh, Mark two verse eighteen? You know, oh, John's disciples are fasting. Why aren't your disciples fasting? They're passing judgment on the same on exactly what Paul is talking about: passing judgment on when to abstain, what to abstain from, you know, or whatever else like that. So. Um, so we see this is what Paul's saying. Um, and, um, oh, by the way, actually, you know, the, the story of the tax collector, famous story, para, uh, parable of Jesus, where he talks about the tax collector and the Pharisee mm -hmm. tax. The Pharisee says, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I fast twice a week. You see, you heard, you hear that? That's a, that's, that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about this custom in the Talmud that you need to fast twice a week. By the way, it was Mondays and Thursdays. You know, we just read it. So this Pharisee is saying, oh God, I, and he, I'm, I'm, thank you. I'm not like these other men who don't fast twice a week like I do. So he's passing judgment on the tax collector for not fasting twice a week. This is exactly what Paul says is wrong to do. So that's what Paul is talking about. So 
the question was, you know, how, what about unclean food? Unclean food is not mentioned in this chapter. Unclean food is not what this is about at all. It's not, it's not, um, food is not even the topic besides for whether we abstain or that, like what food God prescribed to be, or what God said is food and what is not food is not the topic of what Paul is talking about. Um, Paul is talking about fasting. He's not talking about Levit the Levitical unclean food laws. Okay. Right. So, um, I think we can go on to the next question. I hope that, that that brings some clarity on that one. The next question is from Deja, and it is regarding salvation. She writes, My question is, can a person be saved without baptism? For example, if someone is on their deathbed and is unable to be baptized, but confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they truly believe in their heart. Okay, so... Um, we are saved through faith in Messiah alone. Okay. That's what saves us. We are not saved by any single work that we could do. I mean, if that was the, if it was the case that baptism saves us, then we don't need Christ. <laughs> I mean, we could, it would have, I mean, he didn't need to die. We could have all just jumped in the water and we would all be saved. Hallelujah. I'm kidding. You know, it's no, no, he, he died. Baptism is not what saves us. Baptism is something else. Um, what baptism does is it's the, um, the way that we partake in the crucifixion, the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. It's how we die to ourselves, get raised with him as a new creation. So, um, it, it helps us to repent and, um, you know, it helps us to overcome the old man, our sins, etc. But we are safe through faith. Okay, so um, if especially in the case of someone who's on their deathbed and never had the chance of getting baptized, but they accepted Christ on their deathbed, if they really accepted him and right there, you know, repented of their sins before God, um, yes, uh, biblically, there is salvation if that person is sincere. Um, so yeah, um, repentance and belief is what is important. Mm. I think we can go into the next one. It's very related. The next question here. All right. From Angelica in the Philippines, and she writes regarding baptism as well, is tongues, speaking in tongues, the only acceptable evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, so some people do believe this, right? Um, there's um, certain movements who believe that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. There are some who even take it as far as to say that you're not saved, which is, uh, I, it's very wrong. Let me say it like that, to, to, to believe, to say that. And, no, um, and I think it can cause a lot of hurt. And no, it's wrong. So whether you or not you do a sp specific spiritual gift is not what determines your salvation or whether you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because Paul says that um, there's different gifts and we and God gives us different gifts for each person. We're all, we're, we don't all have the same gift. We are different people, different. We have different strengths, just like I might be gifted in writing and she may be gifted in soccer. Um, <laughs> I'm not, by the way. <laughs> whatever uh you know we just like that there's difference in spiritual gifts and so 
when we look at scripture, this is echoed by scripture because Acts 19 verse 6, for example, that's just one example um, where we see that the Holy Spirit is poured out. People are baptized in the spirit and we see that they were speaking in tongues, mm -hmm. but there was also people who prophesied. So it wasn't just speaking in tongues. We, there's actually various times you can go throughout the scriptures and just look at um you know, all the different things that happened with, with the baptism of the Spirit. And there was always things like prophecy happening as well. Sometimes only prophecy happening mm -hmm. or, you know, other spiritual gifts. Okay, it doesn't really matter. The point is there's different spiritual gifts and this there is a sign for baptism of the Spirit, but it's not always speaking in tongues. It's when we start showing fruits of the Spirit uh, according to the fruits listed in Galatians, as well as showing spiritual gifts in our lives. So we'll start having spiritual gifts naturally start occurring and we'll start really desiring to walk in them more and more and more, you know, pursuing them more and more. That's what baptism of the Spirit um, will come and bring. And by the way, Numbers 11, verse 25, this is in the Torah, Old Testament, but there's still uh, baptism of the Spirit that took place on the 72 elders there. And uh, they prophesied, which was also a spiritual gift being exercised. So we see that there was these signs that were accompanying it, um, whether it was in that instant, maybe it was a little bit lighter in the person's life today. You know, I've seen that, that sometimes it doesn't always manifest immediately, but um, it starts manifesting nevertheless. Okay. So, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Mm. All right, our next question is from someone in Colorado who requested to remain anonymous. Oh, this is the last question. And their question is regarding the Hebrew Roots Movement. They wrote, Hello, PD. Thank you for being a humble servant of God and walking by the Spirit and truth. It seems many, from my personal experience and the Hebrew Roots or Messianic understanding of the Bible, walk in unintentional pride because they keep a few outward commands at, that Bible-believing brothers and sisters don't. While I love keeping these commands, such as feast days and Shabbat and eating clean, it seems that those with knowledge of these things get so prideful thinking that they have some special knowledge, but possibly could be dead on the inside, spiritually speaking. Are these commands, such as clean eating, feast keeping, Shabbat, and wearing tzitzit a weightier command? I know they have great prophetic significance and benefit to us, but I feel like we as believers should focus on the commands that Jesus taught first and foremost followed by the other things. It just seems like these commands are the gospel of Hebrew roots as opposed to the gospel Messiah preached. Please, any insight into your opinion would be great. Yeah. So I want to just say, you know, um, I uh, we distance ourselves from any labels in terms of movements. Mm -hmm. uh, we, are, uh, we identify as disciples of Christ, yes. uh, Yeshua, and we are we try to walk try our best to walk mm -hmm. like he did. That is who we are. Yeah. Um, in terms of the Hebrew roots movement, let me just say there's many people that are walking the narrow path mm -hmm. and who do not fall into this description of being, you know, um, uh, misguided in their focus, but there are people who are, it's kind of like any movement, there's good and bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, with regards to it, um, I think that there is a point. I think it's very important uh, what he is saying in terms of this, because we do see that there are, when we look at to the first century, okay, uh, with Messiah, 
the people who he was addressing and oftentimes rebuking um, for various things were people who were doing Shabbat, wearing long tzitzits, you know, mm. f- uh, keeping feast days, eating right, okay, whatever. These were people that he were at, who were at odds with him and his his calling and who he was, the, the Messiah. They were so caught up in the commands, as holy as they may be, that they missed the commandment giver when he was walking right in front of them. So I think it's a very important point. Um, the The weightier commandments that Messiah came to preach were a loving God, loving your neighbor. So if that's not happening, nothing else really matters. And uh, how do we love God? Well, we love God by keeping his commandments. Sure thing. But we also have to love our neighbor, which is means we go to those who are deprived of life, even those who may even hate us, who may even be our enemies. And we go and give them Messiah. We go and love them. That's what he did. And um, so the waiter commandments has to do with love, our character and our hearts worship to God. That's why, like I mentioned earlier, we have the parable of the tax collector, the Pharisee, the, 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 the tax collector was accepted by God because even though he didn't have all the little commandments down, his heart was, God, forgive me, a sinner. I come to you in repentance. Well, the tax, collect- tax collector was, oh, God. I- yeah, was, uh, excuse me. Well, the Pharisee was the one who said, oh, God, I keep all the commandments. And thank you. I'm not like this wretched tax collector. I'm so much better than he is. <laughs> you know, so if by our, can I say, like was, I'm quoting the, the um, who asked the question, you know, this quote unquote spatial knowledge of that puffs us up like it did that Pharisee, then yes, we are just as bad as he is. So we have to be humble like that. A tax collector understanding we are deprived and Messiah is the only thing that makes us good at all. And um, yeah, and I think on the last note on that, um, I also don't want to diminish with this the commandments that we're, uh, we're talking about here, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, um, clean eating, feast keeping, Sabbath, and wearing zitzits, like like he said. The reason that Jesus didn't speak about them as much as some of the other things that we just mentioned, and like love, is because most people were already keeping it. There was no issue in the first century of, or a lack of people who were, in terms of you know his circles, uh, that is the Jews, who, I mean, they were keeping these things. They were doing these things probably very well. Um, so if everyone is doing things well, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make today. We're talking about things that we think will edify you. We're not gonna talk about things that we think you are totally fine in, right? That that's how any preacher is gonna be. And Ms., our Rabbi Yeshua Jesus was the same. He was gonna talk about things to his audience that they were struggling with. And this was what they were struggling with. They weren't struggling with these commandments. They were struggling with other commandments. They were struggling with actually loving their neighbor because they thought that, oh, I can love my neighbor, but hate my enemy. I, the only guys I need to love are those who love me back. No, Jesus says, no, that's not the case. You need to love everyone. So that's really what he was teaching. And that was definitely a, a very heavy command, an important command. 
but it's also not taking away at the same time from the actual other commandments that God gave us. Everything is important. What's important for us to do is have balance and not pick and choose like even the Pharisees did back then. We need to say, look at Messiah. How did he look? How did he walk? Let's walk like he did. Let's not pick and choose. And then we will be pleasing to our father. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. The goal is to really walk as Yeshua walked, exactly as he walked. Not to say, well, I'm a Gentile or I'm Jewish and I can pick which one I decide that I just, you know, will keep like we even had previous comments. But we as followers of Christ, Christians, however you like to call yourself, disciple of Yeshua, mm. you are to walk in his footsteps because those who are called by him will walk and look like he will walk as he walked. And the key in that also is walking in the fullness as our ministry is founded on in spirit right. and in truth. Like we have Yeshua's example, loving his neighbor, loving those that he came across, the leper, those who were blind, deaf, right. those who were in need, those who needed that love, that life. And he went to them. And that's how he showed that he loved the Father. That's how he showed love to them by walking this out and by being that light. And we are called to do the same. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, I hope, I think that's a good note to end this on. Walk as he walked and um, then you'll be fine. If, you, if you're if you confused about theology, just go back to basics. Look at what did he do and let's do what he did and we won't go wrong. Right? We don't have to debate it. Just look, oh, Jesus, hey, he kept the feasts. Oh, by the way, Paul did that too, all throughout the New Testament. And, the, and the, you know, so they did these things too and they loved. So... Let's go and do what they did. So, Brassers, I hope that this Q&A blessed you guys. Let us know if this blessed you, if we should continue doing this. And um, we would love to do this again. I enjoyed it. Yeah, we had fun. That was so fun. So, um, Send us more questions. Yes, yeah. We'll be definitely putting out, giving you guys opportunity to send in more questions. And uh, that'd be awesome. So, thank you guys so much. May God bless you. Keep you, shine his face upon you. Lift up his counts upon you. May he give you shalom. May he give you blessing. And thank you for tuning in to Rise on Fire Live. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next video. Shalom. Blessings and shalom. Shalom.